Well, let's turn to our Bibles this morning. We're going to jump into this, this uh, short series. Go to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9 here in a moment. And, um, and as we, we navigate into a new ministry here soon in the fall, we wanted to take some, some time just to, to kind of focus and maybe even refocus our hearts around what it means to, to live in fellowship, what it means to live in community with one another. Now, dating services, this is nothing new, and uh, there's all sort of services out there now for couples to connect. One of the most well-known services claims to have over 260 marriages a day from their service, and I'm sure you all know how those work. They're these online tools. You set up a profile, and uh, the system works with your personal data and what you like and dislike and seems to try to match you you up with somebody who's super compatible to you as an individual. Uh, recently, we had a new member welcome here, and I just was thinking about a tool like this that we could harness, maybe something called e-membership or something like that, uh, where you would create a profile and we would have a profile of what we want as a church, the perfect match, right? Six foot tall, awesome Christian, owns an ESV study Bible, genuine leather, uh, massive sense of humor, they laugh at the pastor's jokes, um, has a massive gift of giving, <laughs> likes to dance to worship music on Sundays, and uh, has a, a serious serving gift, and particularly with children. <laughs> that would be, it would be awesome. We could, we could set up their perfect profile, and we would get the perfect person that we want to come to church. And it's unique, though, that the Bible does nothing sort of like that. When we see the Bible, we see a, a group of people gathering, connecting a community unlike anything on this earth. We had a recent message in our We Believe series just about the church, this, this new society, this new community that God creates by his son, Jesus, through the Spirit. And it is a, a people, a gathering of all kinds of People, different genders, different backgrounds, professions, race, mature believers, new converts, varying gifts, likes and dislikes, all brought together into unity in fellowship because of what Jesus has done. This is, this, this is something the world cannot create. But this is something Jesus creates through his spirit and his people. Joins these people together in the church, in his family. And this, and this has massive implications. It calls us to something. And we're going to be looking at what that does. It reorientates our relationships towards the Lord, but also with one another. And coming out of a, a season of pandemic, of isolation, of our rhythms of life that have just been sort of disheveled and changed and shifted, and we go into this new year, I, I, I need my own heart to sort of be realigned. Some things that I have let slide or neglect or haven't give attention to that has become anemic that I believe the Lord by his spirit would wanna just charge us as we go into this new, new ministry year. And I, I think First John chapter one will help us focus and do that very thing. And so let me read a portion of our text and then we're going to to pray. We're going to consider this, this true fellowship of God's people that he creates, and, and it's through this fellowship, preserved and made fruitful by the gospel, that 
that gospel fellowship is going to happen here in our life and will continue to grow. So let's read verses 1 through 4 and then let me pray. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, as we, as we open up your word this morning, as we have already come to you in prayer and, and we've petitioned you, we ask you to come by your spirit to, to awaken us, to enliven us, to help us to see and to know and to believe um, these truths that we're going to look at too, these things that your word calls us to. We, we know we don't have it in us to make that happen. We know it comes by your work. And so as we look to your word, as we look to you, Jesus, this morning, would you, would you do that? Do something in us by your spirit. Do something into us, in us that would, would call us outside of ourselves and into to your mission and to what that would look like as a, a community of believers. We need you. We ask for your help and we ask that you do this for your glory. Amen. Amen. Now, a little background before we, we sort of dig in. First John, John was writing to a church that he, he loves. You see in various places where he calls them little children or beloved. And the purpose of this letter was to care for this church and to encourage them to have confidence in their salvation, of what they had confessed to, to stay the course. And there was also a defending of some false teaching that had been coming in and being taught and that people were being led astray. Uh, John, at this point, was probably the only surviving apostle of the 12, and we probably had a second to third generation of Christians here. They were susceptible to losing heart. They were susceptible to losing focus or to these false teachings. And some of this false teaching was a form of, of Gnostic teaching, which was a distorted view of the spiritual and the physical the material, physical things were bad, and true spiritualism uh, had no need to deal with the physical. And so what happened is there became a denial of Jesus bodily, physically coming to the earth. And so since flesh and body were not important, there was license. There was license to sin. People were being licentious in their lives, and nobody cared. And so all of this body was going to disappear somewhere, and it didn't matter, so we could kind of live as we want. That's why you see these charges to return to faithfulness and obedience. Uh, and then if that is the case, then you really didn't matter. And so there was this dysfunction of loving one another, brothers and sisters. And so one could connect with God in other ways beyond Jesus, and our relationships didn't matter, so they were a mess. And yet out of the gate, John clearly is affirming that Jesus came in the flesh. He was real. We saw him. We, we touched him. There was witnesses, and sin is a real danger to God's people. And so obedience to Jesus is not 
an option. And that meant loving our brothers and sisters is proof that we do love God. And so we're going to look at these and consider what these do and what they call us to in form of our fellowships. The first thing that we can observe here is Jesus alone makes this fellowship possible, and it is for joy. So look at verse 1 with me again. It says, that which, we, that which was from the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with John 1, it, you sense a familiarity there. In the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1 in John's gospel, was the word. This is referencing Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Everything finds its source and beginning in God himself. And what we'll see, the essence of any fellowship, humanly speaking, comes because it's a reflection of something God has in himself. In the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three distinct persons, yet one God, eternally have dwelt in perfect harmony and relationship and care and joy and communication. And they've enjoyed this and displayed this from eternity past and will through eternity forever. And then God makes man and woman in his image to bear that triune reflection, Father, Son, Spirit in their fellowship. And so man and woman are created to mirror this intimacy, this relationship. And as we know, the fall took place, distorting that relationship and fellowship with God and that relationship and fellowship among people. But John was eager to affirm something about Jesus. What was real, what was tangible, what was human about Jesus. That which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning, as you see, the word of life, which is the gospel. We've seen it, we testify to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is this message of the gospel, that which came from the Father, the person and the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel. He says, we testify, we proclaim this to you. This is why John is writing. I'm affirming, he's saying, the power of Jesus, the reality of Jesus, he was flesh, he was bones, we saw him, we experienced him. His work of the gospel was not a fairy tale, it wasn't a myth, it was made manifest and it changed us. And it called us to something and how we relate to him and how we relate to one another. So this changing, this transformation, look at verse three, had an implication, it was a because, a so that, the clue right there, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It is through the gospel that he understands and reminds this church that they will truly find relationship with him as another brother, and through the gospel, they would be able to relate and have fellowship with God himself. Now let's look at this word fellowship. I've mentioned that a few times already, and um, if you've grown up in church, you are likely familiar with that term, and I, I just want to encourage you to don't like, just glaze over that, don't dismiss it. Let's, let's consider this word a little bit this morning. This Greek word is the, rendered koinonia, and it has these, these linking words of common, of sharing, of participation. And what John is saying is God has shown himself to us in Jesus. In the work of Jesus in our life, he has shared with us. 
And in turn, we have this sharing, this fellowship with God, with one another. So participation with God is a work of the gospel, and our participation in communion with one another is an overflow of that. Now, that word fellowship can get lost on us if you did grow up in church, as I did, or I've been in many churches, and sometimes, I don't know if they still do this, we had the fellowship hall And it was this large room where you would host the potlucks. And somehow with the the aroma of fried chicken and meatballs or something, fellowship somehow took place in that room. Well, that's not quite really what happens, right? Social events do not equal fellowship. They create a context possibly for fellowship, but it does not equal fellowship. Social activities, interest groups, Our hobbies, the things and topics that could gather us together are good, but they themselves do not equal fellowship when we're doing those things. Watching the ball game with your friends, hanging out together does not mean fellowship is taking place. In a true sense, maybe in a broader sense, bringing meals or sharing things like power saws are good. They're expressions of love and sharing, but I think what John is getting at, I think what the Lord is getting us at in this is that our sharing is much deeper than that. It is much richer than that. It is an actual sharing in the work of God, what he has done in you and what he's done in me. What only could be done by the Spirit through the gospel. Unbelievers can get together and have social activities. Only God's people can have fellowship. Only by the Spirit can I really share in God with you and you with one another. And this this is what enables a group of people in a living room or a coffee shop or a D group, a community group, or wherever that might be, to have people from all ages, different places in life, different interests, have fellowship have true love and care and support and communion and participate at the most deepest level possible humanly because it's done by God. It is done through the gospel. Now, belonging and knowing others and being known doesn't have to happen like at a thousand foot deep level in some heady Bible study. It can happen over a barbecue. It can happen over helping somebody move, but it's what at the core connects me with that, inter- that other person. It's what we are celebrating at the deepest level with that individual. You see, the Gnostics were trying to deny the humanness of Jesus and of other people. And it is not quite unlike today, where we live in a place where, where our humanness is slowly eroding, a denial of what it means to connect humanly face-to-face with other people. Technology seems to continue to create a wedge there, a tangible engagement with human people. And God wants that connectivity in all the humanness of our lives, to touch every part of our life, not just our church experience, not just at a, a Bible study or a service, but But think about the way God wants to permeate in each part of our life, our speech, our entertainment, our 
eating, our parenting, our money, our work, our reading, our dress, ultimately the deepest places of our heart. And so God is participating, sharing, working at all those levels of our life. The gospel is connecting at those very deepest parts of our life. So I am able to participate with others in those same places. The gospel connecting all of those areas of life. So our sharing in your life in God is a byproduct of that fruitful work of Jesus, touching, moving, connecting all areas of your life and us together. But we create these silos. We create these silos where I relate to you in God in maybe it's a Bible study or over something like that versus how does God, if he's weaving through all of your life, how can I share in the work of God in all those areas woven through yours? We see that in Acts 2, this koinonia. They've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it goes on to say that they had all things in common and they gathered and they ate and they fellowshiped together. We see Paul speak of our fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ and our Lord in 1 Corinthians 1.9. And then we see the opposite of this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Our fellowship uniquely sharing in God, one spirit, one Lord, one salvation together is linked with our fellowship with God. And that is an overflow of our fellowship with God. Theologian J.R. Packer writes about the power and necessity of fellowship and the necessity of that coming from our, our primary fellowship with God personally. Is what he says. Fellowship with God is the source from which fellowship among Christians springs. And the fellowship with God is the end to which Christian fellowship is a means. We should not, therefore, think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury, an optional addition to the exercises of private devotion. We should rather, uh, we should recognize rather that such fellowship is a spiritual necessity. For God has made us in such a way that our fellowship with himself is fed by our fellowship with fellow Christians and requires it to be fed constantly for its own deepening and enrichment. Such fellowship is a spiritual necessity and must be fed for deepening and for enrichment. That means that means it must take attention in our life. It means it, it, must, it must involve intentionality. We can't experience fellowship with others on the fringe. We can't experience fellowship with others if we're just observing. But when we do, when we do allow that to be experienced, there is a joy that comes. Look at verse four with me. Remember our purpose line, so that they would have fellowship together and fellowship with the Lord. And John affirms this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Some translations may say your joy, but, but the point is that John's making is 
our joy or your joy, there is this collective joy that is going to be experienced through the grace of Jesus when we move towards one another in biblical gospel fellowship. It's not simply for me. There is something that happens with all of us in that experience. There is a unique, powerful, glorious thing that happens through the grace God gives in fellowship. And one of those is joy. Joy in his people. The Father, the Son, the Spirit have eternally experienced this joy. And he invites us into that joy when we move towards one another in fellowship. But we must see the, we must see the value of that. And we must see the cost of what it took to give us that fellowship. The value and the cost that I recognize what was required to purchase this fellowship will be the level that I esteem it, that I value it, and that I will protect it. In 1939, during World War II, there was a a new submarine that the U.S. had built called the USS Squalus. It was launched in New Hampshire, and there was excitement, there was anticipation, but something mechanically went wrong in the submarine. There was a failure, and the sub began to flood, and it sank approximately 243 feet to the bottom of the water. 26 men died, and yet there were 33 survivors in this submarine, imprisoned, trapped in these, these, this sub in freezing water. The, the minutes, the hours were precious. The water was horribly uncertain with weather, and they couldn't get to them. And so the Navy rallied. They brought in all the experts and authorities and engineers, and there was a man who invented this thing called a diving bell. It was this capsule that they lowered down, and 40 hours later, all the men escaped, those 33 men. It was, it was a heroic rescue. One of the captains later wrote this, never in my remaining life do I expect again to witness so true an exemplification of comradeship and brotherly love. They shared their blankets, the crowded deck space, lay in each other's arms in an effort to keep one another a little warmer. Never in his life, he says, would I experience something like this. Why why was it so impactful and powerful and memorable? Because there was a sacrifice surrounding this reality. This community of 33 men were destined to die. They were helpless, unable to save themselves in this dark prison. And yet a rescue came that had impacted their lives and the value that they had for one another and for the rescue was off the charts. Having once been on a path of death together and now being redeemed together shaped their joy and their love for one another. Their care for one another. Remembering, church, remembering the very thing that enables us to sing in one spirit, in one Lord, to be able to have communion later, one spirit, one Lord, to be able to sit around a table and discuss the beauty of Christ and our need for the Lord and bear each other's burdens and confess sin and, 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 and encourage one another in the faith. What radical, costly thing Jesus did to purchase that reality, to purchase that ability for us to fellowship, for us to have community, will be 
Our charge to esteem that, to value that, to protect that, it changes us. We count it as precious. We count, we count fellowship as a gift from the Lord. And when we experience the benefit of those things, there is great joy. But this does not make it easy, this, this opportunity for joy. This does not make it easy or simple, and there are threats. And we, we, it requires us to return again and again and again to Jesus. This is one of the things that John is reminding the church in these latter verses, verses 5 through 10. Our fellowship requires us we walk continually in the gospel together. Let's read verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John begins by describing God's character, his holiness. There's no darkness in him. He's holy and good and true. And then we see these repeating statements. He almost he gives three opposites of walking in God's way and fellowship that then gives us a remedy. They're like tests to see if we are in fellowship. If we say, if we proclaim, verses 6 and 8 and 10, and if we, verses 7 and 9. And John is not shy away from this. Our, note the koinonia, this word fellowship once again embedded in here. If we say we have fellowship with God but we walk in darkness, we, we live a life of sin, we are, we're deceiving others. If we say we have no sin, we're in denial. Or if we say we have not sinned, we are lying. Or verse 10, we make God a liar. Now, this does not mean that we actually make God lie. But what does the lie do? A lie is a fabrication. It gives a false impression. It says this is one thing, but it's not. It is another. So we don't make God sin, but we make a claim to be in Jesus, seeking to become like Jesus' disciples. And yet there is this this false presentation of that. A claim versus reality, a truth versus lie. And isn't that sort of a challenge for, for us in all of our life? What, what is the claim that I have? What is the thing that I proclaim to be true? And then how does my life really show that thing? We just came out of a, a lengthy series through the summer on what we believe, the things that we attest to, that we hold to as dear or as important. But unless those things translate into we live or how that changes us as a community, then it, it is a false thing. And we want to truly believe the glories of what Jesus has done. And we also want to experience that in a culture, in a community lived out among his people. And so our fellowship with one another is experienced as we walk in the light of Jesus together. And we all know what happens when fellowship is disrupted, is disturbed. You know what that feels like if there's maybe something going on with a brother or sister at church and you come into the gathering and we know that there's something off. Or maybe there was an argument the night before with a spouse and you come down in the morning to get coffee and there's this coldness that's sort of sitting in the kitchen 
right? The chill in the air. Fellowship, what's happening? Fellowship is being blocked. The, the, the light of walking in the fellowship with the Lord and the fellowship with one another has being hindered. But John doesn't leave us hanging with it. That is a wise pastor. There's an antidote to that. What do we do? We walk in the light as he is in the light. We get near the gospel together. We get near the gospel individually and we move towards him. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We confess, verse 9, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So those ways that are blocking us with Christ and the ways that blocking us with one another comes through us moving towards Jesus together. Walking in the light is walking in Christ and remembering who we are individually and we relate to one another outside of that identity in Jesus. The thing that once blocked me to relate to you and hindered me is now gone. So when I find my identity, when you find your identity in Jesus, who you are in Jesus, rooted in the love of God, rooted in the righteousness of who Jesus makes you, your status, the gospel frees you to open up your life to others. Christ binds us in that. And so sufferer or sinner, we move toward Christ together. We help one another move towards Christ together. And Jesus welcomes us into that. But this, this this is messy. This is hard. Gospel community is not easy. It, it, gospel community pushes, pushes against this, the American individualism and consumerism that we sort of live in all of the time. There are natural barriers to this reality. I mean, we look at Acts 2, and I'm just amazed that they're every day being with one another. Likely they lived just houses down from one another and not that far from each other. We live across cities and miles from one another. But all of this ultimately redirects down to our hearts. The Lord says, where is your heart? And where do you need the gospel, the gospel of grace to strip away hidden, self-orientating temptations that keep us from that? And grace draws us in and empowers us to move towards one another with Jesus at the center. When we make Jesus the center of this, community will be vibrant. When something else moves to the center of that, community will struggle and fail. What do we raise to the center? We, there's all kinds of things we raise to the center of ages or hobbies or family station, money, worship style, experience, political affiliations, and our COVID day, vaccines and masks, all of these things can derail community versus Jesus being at the center of that. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in a small book on Christian community called Life Together. We'd commend that book. He says this, our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were added to our community. It remains so far all the future and to all eternity. The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. 
the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another holy for eternity. Would you let that just sit on us for a moment? We need to hear that today. Everything from the beginning to now to the future is Jesus. It's ultimately going to crescendo in Jesus. And the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes as a gospel fellowship community, the more Christ becomes the vital thing between us. And the other things recede into the background. Not that those things aren't unimportant, but they're not vital. They're not vital, church. And through Christ, one another, we have one another holy. Holy, our our mission, our gifts, our possessions, our sorrows and tears, our joys and struggles, our lives come together with Christ. Holy there, fully there. And so, is there something that you have put as vital in the center in your fellowship today? Is there something that maybe is, is wedged between you and another brother and sister that, that is beyond this vital thing? Let the gospel of grace, let that thing recede. Let the gospel of what Jesus is, the gospel and what Jesus has done, allow that thing to distance itself from your heart. And so as disciples of Jesus, he calls us to, to something. And what's beautiful is this, this fellowship, this gospel fellowship, isn't some abstract reality. The Bible doesn't just leave us like with a place where we just don't practically know what to do and, and we need to guesswork. He gives us direction. The Lord gives us direction. And so if, if fellowship, think about it this way, it, in Jesus is this framework. Consider it like a, a picture frame a, something that holds us and connects us and gives us boundaries to how we can even make this happen. The, the color, the, the brush strokes, the, the picture, the beautiful thing that God is painting is the one another's of Scripture. The actual, the hows and the what's of our love and our fellowship. The Bible gives approximately, I don't know, if you can go to between 30 and 40, depending on which ones you land on, these commands of Scripture are called the one another's. And I believe these are the things that are going to give shape. They help give us shape to the how of what we do in fellowship. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to read these to us. And I thought about just giving a, a few of those, but I was talking with this with some of the pastors and leaders and they, I think it was an encouragement for us to just hear these. And, and as I do, I want you to, I want you to listen I was thought about putting it on the, the, board, the screen, but I want you to just listen. And, and maybe it'd be a place where you could just even close your eyes and hear these. These are, these are God's call for you, for me. God's command for us to lay hold of, empowered by the gospel. And maybe the Lord would, would set one or two of these into your heart and even give you someone that he would call you to move towards in one of these. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. 
Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be interested in one another. Be accountable to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be conceited with one another. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Greet with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humble toward one another in love. Be compassionate toward one another. Do not be consumed by one another. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble toward one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Sing to one another. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another. Carry one another's burdens. This is fellowship, church. This is fellowship, church. And what would it feel like to experience massive doses of this list on an ongoing basis every day? Multiple layers of this list and you experiencing those towards other people. Joy. It would be joy. If I experienced this list and I didn't experience the do nots, I would experience layer upon layer of joy. I think that's what John is getting at. He wanted to serve this church, encourage them in the fellowship of God because joy was at the end of that road. Joy. The one and others then, by the transforming work at a heart level, enables me and you to commit and to care and to submit and to confess and to encourage and to help and to be devoted toward one another. This is fellowship expressed. This is fellowship displayed. Ultimately, this is the gospel displayed in God's people. And because I am in Jesus, I don't, I don't move towards you as my own person. I, I'm a son of God and you are a daughter of God. And we walk in the freedom and the light of what Jesus has done. And we're able to move towards one another with Jesus at the center of this glorious thing. But this takes, this takes effort, it takes time, and it takes lots of, lots of gospel. Author and pastor Ray Ortland Jr., he wrote something that stuck with me when I, when I read it, and I, I find it true. And his challenge was a deep fellowship community is a combination of three things, gospel, safety, and time. As we've talked already about the reality of the gospel, that we don't want this to be a tagline to some thing that we throw out, but it's a, it's a reality. It's, it's Christ empowering and making something possible in us and forming what we do. And, and then there's safety. Safety, what do I mean by that? Well, that we, we walk in the light as he is in the light. To walk in the light with other people comes through the power of the gospel, but it also comes with, with me knowing that I am in a place where I could be safe to share the dark things that I'm struggling with. And I'm not going to get hammered. And I'm not going to get shamed. But people are going to identify with me as a sufferer and a sinner and a struggler. So it takes a lot of gospel. It takes a place where there is a safe place for sufferers and strugglers to be made known. And then there's time. There's time. 
I, I feel God's grace working in my area, in my life in patience, but earlier in my think of younger days of ministry, I didn't, I didn't get this. I messed this up quite a bit. To know that, that change takes time. <laughs> change takes time for me. Change takes time for other people. Growth takes time, and we're impatient people by default. We are, we are rushed. We are Amazon two-hour delivery people, and we want it now. But gospel community keeps long-term, the long view. We're complex, and time is needed. Patience is needed. So as we think about community here, I think it'd be wise for us to consider those elements of a gospel-saturated community. There's a safe place, and it's a place of patience. And I just want to just encourage you. As I was preparing this, I was thinking of many ways that I have experienced joy because of fellowship with, with many, many of you. And joy in observing fellowship take place in and among you cross of grace. And I want, that to, I want that to continue to grow in us. I want to experience it more. There's areas where my own life becomes laxed or become diminished or maybe we, I have pulled away or maybe you have become laxed or pulled away. But let's, let's move towards one another in gospel fellowship. Consider what would that look like to continue to grow in that as a church, infused with gospel power. That people would find friendship and connection as they came through those doors. That they're presently here. The gospel freeing us from trying to impress one another. The gospel empowering us to lay down our pride to serve one another. The gospel allowing me to see my sister and brother as more significant than myself. The gospel informing my heart, knowing that we will fail one another and we will fall and do foolish things, but we're going to be quick to forgive and quick to build up and not quick to criticize or self-hate or hate others, but grace is thick and there will be no condemnation for those here. A gospel community where, where outsiders are welcomed into the beauty of that, the glory of that tangible, real, informed by the gospel. So our fellowship church is that communion, that sharing that we have in Christ together. We're called to this. And so let's, let's look forward, let's forecast into this new year and allow the spirit to guide you, allow the spirit to empower you and say, Lord, what, what, what does that need to do to take shape in fresh new ways in my life? And I know he's gonna give us the grace, the power, the wisdom, the direction to make that happen. And he's going to get great glory, and we're going to get joy. Joy. Let me pray for us towards that end. Lord, thank you. Thank you that, Lord, that the, the reality of our fellowship with you isn't isolated. It isn't alone. It's not ultimately individualized, but Jesus, you came to, to save and rescue a people. And like those sailors in that cell, we, we have been pulled out of darkness and brought into your marvelous light, not alone, Lord, but together. 
And Lord, if there are those who feel alone here, Lord, I pray that your spirit would ultimately be the thing that comforts and draws them in to a fellowship with you. And Lord, that they would, and then there would be an experience, a level as they lean in and press towards connectivity towards your body. God, there would be a tangible experience of your grace, of deeper fellowship, communion, partnership, a sharing in God together. And Lord, may we be a church that the one another's, those calls, Lord, of things that we do need to put off and then the one another's that we need to put on, God, you would shape us by the gospel. Patiently, encouraging, safe, gospel-saturated community. We ask this for your your glory, Lord. We ask this for the glory of, of your name through your church and for, for our good. Amen.